welcome to Trashy Trashy, where we take a dumpster dive on this week's garbage people and a look at all the trashiest news stories. My name is Erica, and I am your host. My name is Cassandra. I'm your other host. Wow, wow, wow. Did I have a lot of crunchy stuff in my mouth right before we started? <laughs> it was it was a visceral experience, listeners. <laughs> like, Erica did not ask for ASMR, but I gave her ASMR. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Accidental I'm- ASMR happened. Oh, man. I am deeply sorry for it. How are you? I am doing wonderful. Mm. I, like a crazy person that I am, found someone on TikTok, hunted down their Instagram, Mm -hmm. and followed them, DM'd Mm -hmm. them. They DM'd me back. We may have a guest on the pod soon. (gasps) Oh. This is a trash icon, according to me and me only. Uh, how much are you going to tell right now? I'm just going to tease it. We might start wow. having guests, dear listeners. Wow. Trash, trash guests. Trashy, trashy guest. Yeah. Can you even yeah. believe? Uh, this, is, this is big news. It's exciting. It's exciting. We don't know anything about said guest. So nope. It could we'll- be a really weird thing. Could be a rough ride, but it's gonna be a good time. So I am just over the moon. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, leave him with that little tidbit of excitement. Mm-hmm. Why are you trash this week? Is that why? No, couldn't be. No, even more so trash that I am this week. I watched a TikTok video of a man drinking beer in a really cool way. Hmm. And I was like, I've got to go get beer and learn how to do this. Erica. So I pulled an illegal U-turn and then had to do a turnaround and then thought that I cleared the curb. I did not. In my illegal U-turn, held up traffic. Oh, no. And then bent my hubcap on the curb. And then finally pulled, you know, had to do 90 degree turns, 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 and then finally like moved. People were honking. It was absolute garbage of me to pull such an illegal U-turn. And I can't believe I didn't get a ticket. I had to take my car in to make sure the tire was okay. (laughs) I thought it was going to be a very expensive, expensive moment for me. But they said the tire is fine. It's not leaking air. <laughs> uh, thank God. But also, holy shit. Like, wait. So you, were you watching the TikTok while driving and being like, I need beer now? <laughs> no. <laughs> Unrelated. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Watched the TikTok and then was like, gotta get beer. And then from there was like illegal U-turn that ended up holding up traffic. Isn't it the worst when you kind of like do something you just make a quick snap decision and it just goes so bad. Cause I've had, I've pulled out of parking spaces before I had a, we had a, I was in a rental car because my car had been crashed into or something like that. I can't remember what happened to it. So I was in a rental car for my insurance company and I pulled out of a parking space too fast. Uh, it just wasn't thinking. And I sideswiped my roommate's car and I was like, fuck in a rental and I was like, all of that could have been prevented if I would have taken an extra three seconds to yeah. think. 
yeah, mine was the simplest of deals that I should have known. And I it would have taken me, you know, a minute to go around the block. But I yeah. just I decided to try to make that illegal you. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry <laughs> to those I held up at like, you know, six o'clock on a Friday. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I would have been so mad. Traffic was a flowing. How are you trash this week? So I was in the desert, as we all know, because I couldn't shut up about it. Went to the desert last weekend for my birthday. Well, now it'll be two weekends away. Either way, April 3rd, I was I was in Joshua Tree. And I made the decision. I was like, you know, we we're going to do the national park and we were going to like fuck around all day. And, and so I was wearing comfy clothes, you know, like yoga pants and like a crop top. Very cute, very fun. And I was like, I forgot to bring sports bra. So I'm going to go braless. We're in the desert. Let's fucking do this. Gentlemen listening, if you didn't know this, when a period be a coming, sometimes the nippies hurt just like on their own. So I was PMSing and my little nippies hurt. And the fact that they weren't being contained by a bra. I like my shit was on fire. It hurts so bad just rubbing against my t-shirt after like, you know, like three or four hours of just like free brawing and feeling so like good about myself with it. And then it just hurt so bad. So I was sitting at, we had lunch at Pap- Pappy and Harriet's in mm-hmm. Pioneer Town, which is very cool. I'm sitting there like kind of like ducked like the table is like here and would normally go to like the bottom of my boobs. I'm like pulled out and I have my boobs under the table. Like I'm leaning over so that I can hold my nipples under the table because I am in so much pain. <laughs> and like my boyfriend's like, I, I don't know how to help you. I was like, there's nothing we can do. I just like, it just, I fucked up. I fucked up. So it's like the first time anyone ever has like rushed home to put a bra on for comfort (laughs) as opposed to the other way around. It's like usually ripping that thing off. So, uh, you know, I wanted to be one with um, the desert and I ended up paying for it with some sore nippies. Ow, 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 ow. Ow, ow. Yeah. I I totally understand. And I love all of the art that's out in Joshua Tree. I love all of the, the vibe, the scene. I'm such a, a scenester for the desert. I love it. It's beautiful. Don't touch it, though. Or maybe you can. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Might be a cactus. According to the insider.com, our first story today, a couple vandalized a $444,000 painting in Seoul, South Korea, after mistaking it for an interactive exhibit. So a painting by John One, an American graffiti artist that's worth $440,000, was displayed in a mall, and there was it was displayed with paint containers and brushes, but it wasn't meant to be interactive. The couple who are in their late 20s were visiting the exhibit on March 28th when they mistook the containers of paint and the paintbrushes, which were intentionally displayed in front of John One's artwork as signs of public contribution, according to ABC News. I'm looking at this painting and like, I kind of get it, like where they were coming from, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, because it is just like, I'm not trying to like say that the art is not good, but it's just like colorful like 
John Juan was in his studio just whipping paint at a canvas, like what you what you imagine artists do in a movie. Like this is what this guy did. Like so, and then if you have the paintbrushes and the paint can right there, like yeah, it looks like hey, like whip some paint at this thing. Yeah, step up. It's your turn. Try it. And they didn't. They put like three kind of you know like dashes of the paintbrush in the middle, and it. If there wasn't a big circle around it showing like this is what they did, like I wouldn't even notice. It I looks w- like it's supposed to be part of the painting. I wouldn't have been able to point it out if 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 it weren't highlighted in the image, which we will post on Trashy Trashy Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. Like, but here's also my advice to the couple though, is if this was actually like everyone contribute to it, like there would be a dick on here. Oh, a hundred percent. That's how you would know. Yeah. So like if you ever see something that looks like it might be interactive art, look for a dick. If you see a dick, then yes, it is interactive. If you don't see a dick, uh, you know, maybe maybe it's not interactive. I love, I mean, even like going back to like the ancient Greeks and Romans, like when you look at like Pompeii that was covered in volcanic ash, like on the walls were dicks, like graffiti dicks. Like it goes back thousands really? of years. Yeah. Wow. There were just dicks around. I like the idea of people in like Roman times or like whatever time in history just like giggling about farts. Farts have been universally funny. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure if it was like the king's fart, there's probably like applause. The king's fart. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's uh, BRB writing that movie. Someone get Colin Firth on the phone. It's true. (laughs) After Um, the visitors added paint to the graffiti piece, the gallery added a barrier and a do not touch sign to the front of it. The artist does not plan to respond to the incident. So I don't even think he cares. I bet he couldn't have pointed out what they did. (laughs) Mm -mm. No, no, I don't think so. Maybe though. Who knows? Art's interesting, isn't it? $440,000 for that. You know, art is what we put a value on. Mm -hmm. And have you seen the the paintings that are like done by animals that sell for lots of money? Like the ones that like elephants do with their trunks? Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a party trick. And yet people want that to be in their home. I mean, I'm just saying like, I feel like the greatest hoodwink ever pulled is art sometimes it's like nfts too because you know those are getting hot non-fungible tokens i know what an nft is Mm -hmm. this episode will be sold as an nft (laughs) fuck i wish (laughs) if someone will buy it (laughs) yeah how would you like to have the unheard trashy trashy episode (laughs) Uh, speaking of money and value, let's get into our second story from thesun.com. This is up your alley, Erica. So I'm going to let you definitely take the lead on this. Vanderpump Rules Jax Taylor owes $1.2 million in taxes after firing from Bravo show and purchasing a $2 million LA mansion. Who is this Jax Taylor? Was he one of the like servers or something? He was a server and a bartender at Vanderpump Rules on Vanderpump Rules for years and years at Sir. I don't think he worked at Pump. Mm -hmm. 
but he was at Sexy Unique Restaurant, sir. Mm. And he is, uh, according to him, the number one guy in the group. Sure. Overall douchebag. Okay. And at one point on the show claimed that he had enough money to last him for the rest of his life. Like, he doesn't need the show. He's above it. So, and how did he, where did he obtain this money? From the show or from just making drinks? From the show, from making drinks, from modeling. Mm. And I'll put that in quotations. Mm -hmm. He also claims to be like an investor. Aren't we all? Aren't we all now with NFTs and, and Bitcoin? Yeah, I'm looking at this guy. Oh, what a little doucher. Number one guy in the group. Wow. From 2018, the VPR alum continues to have another 128000 added to his outstanding balance. As of December Whoa. 2019, Jackson and his wife, Brittany, closed on their pricey California home. And that added another 646000 added to his unpaid taxes. In a separate document obtained by The Sun, the Michigan native is shown owing the California Franchise Tax Board over $316,000. I'm not good at saying long numbers. It's 316571 Nailed um, it. Yeah, but it took me two tries, which... Uh, you know, I am not a perfect person. Um, but that was for the period between 2018 and 2019. Some people just don't think that they have to pay taxes. It's like kind of chaotic. People on reality shows and people that win like game shows and contests somehow mm -hmm. just don't think tax rules apply to them a lot of times. It's bananas. By the way, Erica and I were on a game show together and still haven't seen that check. They have up to 90 days after the air date to mail that check out, I believe. Yeah. So, you so, know. So, clock's ticking. Yeah. If I, if I don't see that check by July, June, uh, I will be contacting your manager. <laughs> I, <laughs> I owe a lot of money in taxes this year because I worked a 1099 job last year. And got, you know, Uncle Sam just put put a fist up my bottom and said, hello, I own you for a little bit. Wow. So you're getting fisted and puppeted by Uncle Sam? This is Uncle Sam speaking right now, basically. Hey, you fucker. I got a bone. <laughs> so federal and state taxes show that Jax owes now a total of more than $1.2 in back payments and will continue to increase if not paid. Do you get arrested for this or you just get more and more? Uh, you can get arrested for unpaid taxes. Uh, wow. It takes, it takes a, a minute, but uh, the bill just goes up. Like, it just continues. What a fucking loser. What is he going to do? He's probably going to move home to Kentucky from where his wife is from. Oh. And, uh, live with his in-laws. He says he's like a producer now and he's got all these irons in the fire, but everybody knows Jax Taylor is one thing and that is a liar. Damn. He was in uh, the fourth Sharknado. Oh, I was also in the fourth Sharknado. For real? No, but damn, wouldn't that be fun if it were true? God, what a great actress you are. <laughs> I am in a movie called Spaghetti Man, though. Hey! We know that movie. 
We know that one. You know what we also do? (laughs) What do we do? We work. We do work. We work. We work hard. Um, (laughs) According to thebusinessinsider.com, a new WeWork documentary puts the cultish workplace on display, including tracking employees at mandatory alcohol-soaked retreats and We Live spaces designed to accommodate the amount of sex the residents were having. Damn, that sounds lit. I I don't need a tracker for either of those, my alcohol consumption or my sex life. (laughs) I kind of compare that to like the shame I feel like when my phone's like, your screen time has gone up. (laughs) Like, fuck you, iPhone. What a pandemic. (laughs) Yeah, it's all I have. Okay, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna drink alcohol and I'm gonna fuck and I don't need a Hulu documentary about it. Hulu's documentary We Work or the Making and Breaking of a Forty Seven Billion Dollar Unicorn debuted on April second. I'm so sorry, I have a violent sidetrack because I just was thinking about that because you know my mom listens to this episode along with your mom, you know, so it's kind of like sometimes I'm gonna, I'm gonna fuck and it's like kind of a weird thing to do on my way home to come and record today. I was speaking to my mom on the phone and she said, you guys got to look up this story. It was on Apple News. I didn't read it because I don't get Apple News. I think you have to pay for it. I don't know. But look up this story on Apple News about this small town. Did you hear about this? This small town where they're all trading babies. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) So I don't know. I didn't look it up. I didn't have time. But like, just like, we might have to look up this town where like they're trading babies. And she's like, yeah, it was like 50 years ago. I'm like, okay. Okay. So anyways, sorry. I just thought about that. My mom is just uh, an angel from heaven. A real kooky one. We always love it when listeners submit stories. (laughs) That's how she does it. And she, Yeah. Yeah, we do. We love that. Thank you. Thank you for your submission. <laughs> if I find the story, I will make sure to give her credit. Anyways, I'm sorry. I, I got distracted. Here are four of the most surprising details revealed in the film that highlights how much of a cult we work resembled. WeWork was not immediately available for comments. Did you ever work at a WeWork? Have you ever been in one? Uh-huh. Did, and you worked in one or no? I worked in one and then I had my eyelashes done in a WeWork. Oh, my acting manager used to work out of a WeWork and she would like text me and be like, like on like Thursdays, she'd be like, hey, like if you want, we can do like a meeting on Thursday. It's happy hour. It's free. And I'm like, everybody's just getting drunk at WeWork for free. I did not have the alcohol experience, but I do love uh, my friend's company does happy hours like every day at five. Where somebody mm. drives around with a beer cart. And they also have a program where uh, no questions asked. You can take an Uber or a Lyft home anytime you want and just turn in your receipts for immediate reimbursement. No questions asked. Some people turn in like $1,000 worth of Ubers a month because they'd rather you do that than get a DUI or kill yourself driving because they're like, we can't afford to replace you. Like, you're so special, so we will pay for your Ubers and your Lyfts anywhere you want to go. Fucking, like, madmen here. So, WeWork, or the making and breaking of a $47 billion unicorn, 
documents the co-working space's rise from one of the world's hottest startups to a disastrous initial public offering and mass executive exodus. So one of the first highlights from the documentary is the WeWork Summer Festivals that would start serving alcohol at 4 a.m. and there would be open bars in every 50-yard radius. Don Lewis, one of at least 10 lawyers at WeWork, described the company's environment as legitimately the craziest work experience you'll ever have in your life. If you wanted to drink till the end of time, you could drink till the end of time, Lewis said, laughing nervously. WeWork insiders said Newman and his wife, Rebecca, and other executives would give back-to-back speeches for hours during the day, and at night they would party. Ashton Kutcher and Rick Ross appeared at the summer camp stage in the in the movie. Sick. You know something is going down if you got Ashton Kutcher and Rick Ross. Rick Ross rides in the back. That's a lyric from one of his songs, and it just is one of those evergreen moments that lives in my head where he goes, Rick Ross rides in the back. And I was like, yeah, he does. That's good for you, dude. I I don't know if I'm going to get these lyrics right. Who the fuck you think you fucking with? I'm the fucking boss. And then it's... It's white on white or something like that. That's fucking Ross. And I was like, cool. We Live designer Quentin Kern said he tried to get out of summer camp one year, but he was told that they were mandatory. Lewis and the company used tracking bracelets to make sure all employees were in attendance. A We Live commune designer said he designed everything to hold the weight of two people because every person living there was young and single. What the fuck does that mean? Chair, everything to hold the weight of two people? That means you'd be fucking on the chair, you'd be fucking on the desk, you'd be fucking on the bed. Like, we need the weight of two people for everywhere. (laughs) Oh my god. Shouldn't everything be designed that way anyways? True. (laughs) They designed it as everyone was single. We actually had a saying that everything had to be designed to hold the weight of two people. The Wee Living Spaces were co-living micro-apartments that charged $1,375 a month for a room that was roughly 200 square feet on a good day. Where were these? Uh, In New York and L.A. primarily. I've heard of these kinds of buildings where, like, everything is furnished and it's kind of a co-living vibe, but, like, a lot of people live there temporarily, but... I think they're usually bigger than 200 square. It's like it's like a hotel mixed with an Airbnb, an apartment at the same time. But like, I mean, I didn't realize that they're like, welcome to my fuck building. Well, welcome to my fuck pad. Now, if you'll see over here, this holds the weight of two people. You can have sex on this. And this one over here, this holds the weight of two people. You can have sex on this. That over there, that's built to hold the weight of four. So you can have sex with your new friends. So before Kate McKinnon was on Saturday Night Live, I saw her at a sketch show, the Uh uh, NBC talent sketch show. Right. And she played a character that was like an old Amish woman at an Airbnb, like a bed and breakfast. Uh Uh-huh. And this, she was welcoming this couple in, and she was like, you know, welcome in. And then she was like, oh, showing off the quilts that she'd handmade. And then she's like, don't come on the quilts. And they were like, wait, what? Whoa, whoa. And she's like, listen, my house is your house. Everything is yours. But don't come on the quilts. They take hours and days to make. It was one of the funniest sketches I've ever seen. And I was like, I got to follow who this Kate McKinnon is. Because she's going to be somebody. 
And then, wow, and that was the day that you discovered her. <laughs> was don't come on the quilts. Don't you feel attached to people when you see them like that? When you like, and then they start getting bigger, and you're like, I saw you first. <laughs> I I knew who you were. I knew. I made, I made you, and I can. I, I brought you into this world. And I can take you out. I'll take you out. God damn it. Uh, that sounds like some some preachy language for sure. How do you feel about preachers and designer clothing? I don't. Uh, let's get into it. I don't feel like preachers should live in poverty, but I certainly cannot take preachers wearing designer expensive items. So this is on Facebook, but it, it takes our attention to Instagram. There is a account called at preachers sneakers or preachers in sneakers as in an N between the two words. And it's about, uh, it collects pictures of preachers wearing expensive designer items. So we see a picture of uh, a preacher talking to an audience wearing $3,000 Air Yeezy 2 Pure Platinum shoes. $3,180 for a pair of shoes. Yeah, which is, there. I, I can't weigh in on sneaker culture. It It's there and it, mm-hmm. and it is what it is. There's another picture of a... A pastor or a preacher who is wearing a Supreme t-shirt, which Supreme t-shirt, you know, Supreme is all about that hype, hard to get. So this shirt is worth $1,339. Another preacher is featured in a Jordan 1 retro off-white university blue tennis shoes worth $939. And then we've got this nice picture of this preacher with his nice family, and he is wearing, I believe these are Gucci loafers um got the double g's on there for 730 dollars 730 dollars loafers to take a photo with your family well that's almost reasonable compared to the other prices i mean have some couth have an ounce of couth how many people could that fucking feed how many people could be housed more adequately because of that like it's like you said they don't need to live in poverty of course they're doing a job they're doing a service but also it is you think it's just a little bit more humble of a of a job you know um there's just no way that your church has that much surplus that to give you the salary that would make that feel not gross it's just yeah it's just a gross feeling to me like they i mean I believe the quote goes, it's easier to get a straw through an an eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. Oh, boy. I need to go back to Sunday school. But what the fuck is that? Is that from one of your short stories? No, it's from it's from the Bible. Hold on. I'll look at one of your short stories. All right. All right. Here's the exact quote. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Okay. And I just feel like these preachers need to practice all parts of the Testament, not just pick and choose. Yeah. On the other hand, though, like, hate the player, not the game. I don't know. Like, this is what... Sky Daddy isn't going to be happy about this, Cassandra. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it because to me, I do. I think it's wrong. Of course, I fucking do. But like to me, it's like if you're going to a fucking mega church and you're 
preacher lives in like already has like a fucking gold airplane. I mean, this is to me, it's so fucking obvious. Like that obviously they're taking some of the money, you know, they're flashing it along with. So this doesn't surprise me. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that like people who believe in these things are getting duped or that it's their fault, but like, I don't know. I, I maybe maybe some people like watching a pastor, you know, walk around in Jordans. You know, those shoes, they're lighter than air. They must feel good. They must be comfortable. You know what would be uncomfortable? Ooh, what's that? So we have another story sent in from Mike from Whack Rackets. Which Hi, Mike. If you're listening to this this week, which is April 12th. We are on the latest episode of Whack Brackets, so check Ooh, that out. That was fun to do. Yeah, definitely check that out. I believe I was drinking Kirkland box wine. So from the scottishsun.co, Mile High Club, I convinced my boyfriend to have sex while skydiving, but we ended up in A&E when he forgot to open his parachute. A couple who had sex while skydiving have revealed how they ended up in hospital after he forgot to open his parachute. William and Leslie had been together for a little over a year when they decided to take on a high-risk romp. William and Leslie- How the fuck did this work? Well, there's actual recreation photos in the article. <laughs> so they I had to hire those. models or actors to recreate these images. There they are. So they ended up in hospital after having sex midway through a skydive. Speaking to TLC, sex sent me to the ER. William said, I'm an adrenaline junkie, and she's an adrenaline junkie in training, and she loves it and loves it. Oh, what? my God. The images are are incredible. Well, but also just like, okay, so Leslie admits that she's very sexually active, and all it takes is for William to look at her to get her in the mood. And when you look at this couple, you get it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's really rude of me. Um, but the, this is – don't do this, you guys. What the fuck? Uh, the couple decided to take part in the skydive, and she says, she knows better than to throw a challenge at me, William said. Her desire immediately became my desire to fulfill. The so they spent – oh, they spent their flight kissing to get them in the mood. Hot. Uh Love a good kiss. And while it seems like it would be tricky, Leslie was confident that they could they could definitely make it happen. She explained, since we were both wearing baggy shorts, I thought we would just be able to connect without a hassle. Connect. <laughs> oh, that just sounds clinical. It does. I don't care for connecting. Like, I'm just going to need you to land in here. We've connected. We were having sex, William says. We were making love. The next time I look at the timer, it hits me. We're in trouble. Realizing how close they were to the ground, William deployed Leslie's parachute before releasing his own. Wow, what a hero. Which flies up and hits him in the face, leaving him in immense pain as he reaches the ground. When I saw him on the ground, I first thought he's dead, Leslie recalls. With a searing pain in his groin, William is worried about the future of his sex life. Can these people relax? <laughs> Deviance? I'm exhausted thinking about it. He's like, oh, I fell on the ground, survived that big fall, my pee-pee hurts. <laughs> oh, no. 
Not only might I be done skydiving, I might be done pleasing my woman. The couple headed straight to A&E where doctors confirmed that luckily the only thing broken is William's nose. The severe bruising on his groin does mean that William will have to lay off getting laid for a few weeks. Once he tells her little buddy's okay, I just need some rest, that was a big relief. Is this real? It's in the Scottish sun. But like, who's the Scottish sun? This is crazy. This is fucking bananas. Like, it's probably real, but like, it, this. It's look, also look at in the, the Daily Mail. It's in the Sun. It's in Lad Bible. The Mirror.uk picked it up as well. The Mary Sue picked it up. It's, it's a legitimate. Uh, all of the <laughs> primo news sources picked it up. <laughs> yeah. And just this like weird couple being like, yeah, I don't know. When he looks at me, I want to have sex. And I'm addicted to adrenaline. Let's have sex in the air. First ones to ever do it. <laughs> Morons. Trash. Straight up trash. You know what else is trash? What? According to thebusinessinsider.com, Amazon apologized for snarky tweet and acknowledged that its delivery drivers do pee in bottles. Wow. They really did it. Amazon issued an apology Friday to Representative Mark Pocan for a tweet it made last week. In the tweet, Amazon denied its workers pee in bottles despite it being a well-known occurrence. Amazon said its tweet was inaccurate and that delivered drivers do pee in bottles sometimes. The tweet was in response to the Mark Pocan tweeted, paying workers $15 an hour doesn't make you a progressive workplace. When you union bust and make workers urinate in water bottles. And Amazon replies, you don't really believe the peeing in bottles thing, do you? If that were true, nobody would work for us. Pekin fired back. Yes, I do believe your workers. You don't? An apology posted to the Amazon news site. Amazon acknowledged their tweet tweet was incorrect. This was an own goal. We're unhappy about it. We owe an apology to Representative Pocan. The tweet did not contemplate our large driver population and instead wrongly focused on only our fulfillment centers, adding that their fulfillment centers have dozens of bathrooms that employees are free to use at any time. Oh, well, that solves it, the assholes. Men pee in bottles in the car a lot, I think. Mm-hmm. I, like, know, I know women that have done that. Just because you got to just go? You got to go. Yeah. Wild. How do you pee? (laughs) Do I want to tell the story? Yes. One time I had to pee really, really bad and I was trying to get home and, you know, you get the, whatever that sensation is when you get really close and to home and then all of a sudden it gets worse. Uh huh. So I was like, I'm going to pee my pants. I need to handle this. And I had a large cup like from like Del Taco or like some some fast foody kind of cup in my cup holder. And I was like, well, that's a big enough mouth. It'll catch it. Um, No, the fuck it didn't. I don't know. Like I aimed bad. <laughs> Everything went wrong. And I found myself in my parking garage covered in my own pee with this like cup that was also covered in pee Hand, like it was, I do not have that skill set. <laughs> yeah. I one time was driving to Las Vegas. This was, I mean, 10 years ago. And I pulled off at a non-rest stop, like just, just an exit that went to nowhere. Just the way some of those Las Vegas, like couldn't even make it 
to the gas station, which was like half a mile off of the interstate. Mm -hmm. Pulled off in the middle of a bunch of trucks, peed, and then the wind gusted up and then the pee went all over me. So when I got to Las Vegas to meet up with a group of guy friends from college, I had to be like, can I take a shower? I'm covered in urine. (laughs) Oh, no. From the legs down, just full pee. Then I had to get back in my car. You know, I tried to wipe myself down. But, you know, I was 10 years ago. I wasn't thinking properly. Yeah, no, I had to wash my car after this because, like, I like I got pee on like the seat. I just it, everything was bad about it. It is not easy to be a woman who needs to be. <laughs> it is not. We'll take a brief break before we get into our next story. Hey, I'm Karen, and I'm Aubrey, and this is Chicklet, a literature comedy podcast where we enjoy getting lit and talking about books that spoke to us as young adults. Yeah, book it was um, dope as fuck. Yeah, I did used book to get it. the little personal pan pizza. Yeah, just for oh my god, just for you. Yeah, shit- nobody can take that shit, dog. <laughs> but we also cover movies with special guests, and it can get pretty crazy. I'll make a controversial statement. I will take this over Space Jam. Is that controversial? It People love Space be. Jam. We might have to. We might have to stage a fight. So if you enjoy YA fiction. That fool of a fairy, Lucinda, did not intend to lay a curse on me. She meant to bestow a gift. Boozy beverages. Little shot of Baileys in your coffee. Coffee, pizza, and Baileys goes together like... Doesn't go together. It doesn't go together at all. And the power of friendship. I'll be like, I bought your Christmas present. And she'll be like, what'd you get me? I have to know. (laughs) Tell me right now. And I'm like, Henry gets so irritated because I'm like, do you want your present now? And he's like, it's like October. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't. Then we're the podcast for you. We've been best friends for over a decade, so join in on the fun and grab a drink, y'all. January 6th at 1.15 p.m., the day that Dry January died. And we're back. Hello. Did you miss us? Did you miss I us? you. You know what I miss? Hmm? I miss getting drunk at Disneyland. Never done it. Oh, it's the best. Well, you are Disney adult adjacent. I am Disney adult adjacent, but Disney adults, we are not coming for you. We're coming for one of you. Okay. So Disney, according to the insider.com, um, we're dealing in Florida. Disney World guest was handcuffed for refusing a COVID-19 temperature check and told the sheriffs he had spent too much money at the resort to be arrested. The Disney World guest was arrested after refusing to comply with COVID-19 safety protocols. While handcuffed, he boasted to sheriffs how much money he had paid to visit the resort. The Louisiana tourist claimed that he shouldn't be arrested because he spent $15,000 at the park. Just let them take your fucking temperature. Just put on a mask. You're spending fifteen grand For fifteen grand, Mickey Mouse better blow you. You know what I'm saying? Like... I think it's probably more common than you think for people to spend like $15,000. I mean, a churro is like, what, nine bucks? Yeah. And so when you multiply that with the amount of churros that you eat in a weekend, you get to 15000 right? That's, that's Yeah, that's how math works. Imagine, picture this. It's you, husband, wife, spouse, whoever. And you have three little fucking kids 
and everybody wants to go to Disneyland. So you gotta, you gotta fly there. You gotta pay for tickets for five. You gotta do the, the hotels and then the $9 churros. You gotta, I mean, every meal you're gonna be eating somewhere on the park. I just feel like it's probably gets to that 15,000. Like it probably kisses it real quick. Yeah. That's, that's an expensive trip. That's a very expensive trip. While handcuffed, the Louisiana tourist tried to convince law enforcement that he paid too much to be arrested. I paid 15 grand. You can't trespass me for saying 15 grand. Kelly Sills, who was staying at the Disney Sarasota Springs Resort and Spa, said in a video seen by the Tampa Bay Times, The troublesome guest also claimed to be a stockholder while pleading to sheriffs, Orlando Weekly reported. The Baton Rouge residence was apprehended by sheriffs and Disney staff after skipping a mandatory temperature check outside of the Boathouse restaurant at Disney Springs. You have to get your temperature taken, you wear your mask, and that's just what's up. Sills initially refused a temperature check, but upon being handcuffed and escorted out of the park, asked to go ahead with COVID-19 protocols. Will you take my temperature before kicking me out, please, he said, according to the video footage seen by the Tampa Bay Times. They'll do that in jail, sir, a deputy replied. <laughs> a deputy told Sills that he was on private property and was trespassing. I spent $15,000. Do you know how much stock I own in Disney? It's like, bitch, you're not Walt himself. You don't own it. Who cares how much stock you have in Disney? Uh, these these assholes. Like, all your family's going to have this memory forever. Is this the memory you want to leave them with? Remember when dad wouldn't get a temperature check? Was it a, a man? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Remember when he wouldn't get a temperature check and we all had to leave Disneyland? After spending 15 grand? Oh, that was my college fund. You know, 15 grand is a lot of money and I don't know what Dave Ramsey would say to do with 15 grand. Oh, yeah. Dave Ramsey. Um who, what, what, what's this article? Who's this from? NBC News. According to NBC News, Dave Ramsey's company fires employees over premarital sex. Say what? Ramsey Solutions said it did not fire an employee for being pregnant, but for having premarital sex. She disagrees. Uh, I didn't know Dave Ramsey held those beliefs. Oh, he's crazy, Christian. Is he? Yeah. Yeah, he's I thought not- he was just... No nonsense, like money guy. He's a no nonsense money guy, and I don't agree with a lot of his policies. But like, we're not not owning homes for buying coffee every day, uh, Ramsey. But he is is like a righteous living kind of guy. Holy shit! I mean, he tells people like not even to get pets. He's like, pets are a waste of money. <laughs> Yeah. The company founded by radio personality Dave Ramsey says that it fired at least nine employees recently in recent years for having premarital sex. One of those fired workers said in a federal lawsuit that she was fired because she was pregnant. Caitlin O'Connor filed a lawsuit last year in the U.S. District Court for the Middle District of Tennessee, alleging that her firing violated the Family Medical Leave Act and discriminated against her because of her sex. She was hired in 2016 and worked as an administrative assistant to the information technology department prior to her termination. In response this month, the company said it fired O'Connor for violating its righteous living policy and that her discrimination claim is not supported. Isn't that discrimination though? But discriminating against someone for not following the same religion as you? Yeah. 
I mean, I'm on board. I don't like Dave Ramsey, and I think this is bullshit. I'm shook. I had no idea. According to the March 8th court filing, it said that it fired at least eight employees for engaging in premarital sex in the last five years. In addition, O'Connor said most of them were not pregnant at the time. Five of them were men, the company said. The company said that it does not maintain an exhaustive list of conduct that can lead to an employee discipline because it neither has practical... What? Oh, it is neither practical nor required. But specific rules have developed. I mean, they they are private business. Like, I do think that they can discriminate on certain beliefs, but I don't know. I don't know the laws. That's so weird. Mm Mm-hmm. Like... I've read part of his book before. I didn't get any Christianness from it. Yeah, he's a notorious Christian. I don't know. Like a ton of Christians follow his his methodology too. Like they're very the e- intertwined. The email said that O'Connor understood that being unmarried and ex- and expecting is frowned upon, but the company's acknowledgement or the company's attorney said that the email is nothing more than an acknowledgement of defendant's premarital sex ban and admission that she violated it. Would you have kicked Mother Mary out of your company, Dave Ramsey? Well, I mean, it depends. Does Mother Mary have an Instagram that proves that she was married? Was she married to the guy? She was married to Joseph. But they just weren't having sex? Were they married yet? Or he was? they, they were like betrothed? I don't know. Joseph bought the story either way. He said, okay. Uh, were they going steady? Like what? Let's talk about Jesus more. Um, let's get into Jesus talk. First caller. <laughs> we obviously went to Sunday school a ton and know a lot about the Bible. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, no. yeah, 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 yeah. You, know you know what I do know about? What do you know about? Being petty as shit. Okay. According to our next story from the insider.com, Lebanon's skinniest building was reportedly built by a man who wanted to ruin his brother's seafront views. <laughs> According to an urban myth, a Lebanese man built a skinny building to block, block his brother's seafront view. Uh, after inheriting a smaller portion of land, he built the grudge to devalue his brother's property. <laughs> Architect Sandra Rashini told Insider, no new structure can be built in its place because of zoning laws. Oh, that's so funny. According to, yeah, uh, according to a Lebanese urban myth, one man turned sibling pettiness into extreme sport when he erected the country's thinnest habitable building in front of his brother's property. His intentions were simple, to block his brother's seafront views and devalue the property. So it's two feet wide at its narrowest point and 14 feet at its widest. And it was built in 1954 after the owner reportedly received a less than favorable plot of land that his brother and he wanted revenge by way of inconvenience. It is known by the locals as al-basa, loosely means the grudge in Arabic. I'm watching the Marvel movies right now, as everyone knows. And so I've made it to my first Avengers. You know, congratulations, me. These guys sound like Thor and Loki, don't they? Oh, doesn't the Loki Disney Plus show look fucking great? I don't know. I haven't looked yet. Oh, watch a trailer. I don't want to spoil anything for myself. You know what? That's fair. 
Um, I mean, I haven't gotten to the end of the Avengers, so Loki doesn't die. So now I know that. Spoiler. But I think they're going to beat him. I think it's going to be okay. The property gained international attention after urban planner and architect Sandra Rossini researched the building for a collection of forgotten stories entitled Beirut Recollected in 2014. In her essay published by Jedaliah, an e-zine produced by the Arab Studies Institute, Rossini recalled a marveling at how narrow the building was when she approached it as the concierge from a building next door. Yes, I know. It's shocking, he said, before he even finished my question. It's a wall, but people used to live in it, she wrote. She returned with her father and the questions about the family feud that was said to be behind the pink-hued mystery building. There were two brothers, each who inherited a plot. Let's call them plot A and plot B. Unable to agree on how to develop the two parts since plot B was partly reclaimed by road infrastructure, the owner of Plot B decided to develop a minuscule piece of land on his own. That way, he hoped that the building would block his brother's view of the sea. This is um, this is great. I love this. Yeah. Um, I, why not just, just fucking be a dick, you know? Just be petty as all get out. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's so trashy. And it's beautiful. <laughs> Ugh. You know what's not beautiful? Splitting the check at a restaurant. It's like so much work, you know? It's bad for the waiter. Like, just figure out Venmo, you know? Mm-hmm. According to the dailymail.co slash UK, Georgia Restaurant calls the cops on a dinner party of 25 people after they refuse to split their $2,200 bill into separate checks. Videos shared by a woman named Key showed the awkward exchange unfold as the group celebrated for her sister, Quandresha Brinkley. The dinner was held at the Louisiana Bistro Seafood Kitchen in East Point, Georgia on March 10th. Key said that Brinkley had made a reservation beforehand and talked with the staff at the restaurant about the bill. A lot of older attendees didn't have cash apps, so they needed to use cash. Since there was no ATMs in the restaurant, Key said guests were forced to walk to a nearby hotel in order to withdraw cash to pay. It was then that several people chose to ditch the party and not pay for their food at all, forcing Brinkley to pay a lot of the bill out of her own pocket. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. A TikTok video shared by a woman named Key showed the awkward exchange unfold as they celebrated her sister. Key even pans over to the entirety of the receipt, showing the staggering bill of $2,204.30. She also shows the officer appearing to laugh at the scene as the manager tried to explain the situation with the drinks to the irate party. So they were able to take, they weren't able to split the check up, but they were able to take drinks off in hopes to lower the bill. This is kind of confusing. Like, why were the police called? They thought they were going to walk out on the bill, I suppose. Right. But like the problem is with this woman's friends and family who did not come prepared with cash and then just didn't come back. They were there for two hours without food. They arrived at 6 p.m. And by the time they were somebody arrived at 8 p.m., there was still wasn't food on the table. Oh, so most people were complaining. Nobody had food. Even when the food started to come out, it was two or three plates. So this was just a bad restaurant experience all around for everyone involved. I mean, I've been on both sides of that. I've waited on big ta big parties where the food gets fucked up and then you have to like sit there and take it. 
which sucks. I've also waited on big parties who people duck out and then someone else has to cover that portion of the check. And that's awkward as well. Yeah. Tip your servers, you guys. They uh, they go through a lot of shit. The bill eventually did get paid, Key said. Brinkley's friend brought other friends and they were the ones that ran. The sister paid the money out of pocket. She did make a reservation and did talk to the restaurant about splitting the bill beforehand. Key said the police were called to the scene way before the bill even came out. After all the food, the nail technician added the officers were told her post about the incident on social media. He said, go on social media about it and tell about the restaurant. Go to social media about how they treated y'all, Key recalled. So even like the cops know that you can get more done on social media than Than they can do? Than they can do. Holy shit. That's wild. Trashy all in all. Yeah. This next story is a bummer. And this is a website you pay for, I believe. (laughs) Yes, it is. On accident, because I keep forgetting to cancel my subscription. According to Rollingstone.com, the Target sex trafficking hoax has gone viral on TikTok. A stranger danger hoax is sweeping social media, but as one expert explains, the urban legend is old wine in new bottles. So basically what's happening, if you haven't been on TikTok recently, it's a series of white women going to TikTok and saying, I was almost sex trafficked in Target. And by that, they just mean there were strangers in a store. Are they, what are they doing this for? Why, why would they do this? They're raising awareness, but like there's like no sex trafficking like that happens at Target. Is um, this QAnon? It's Q adjacent for sure. So, uh, One listener or one TikTok, uh, Mackenzie Jade, said, okay, so TikTok, I saw that Target is the new sex trafficking hub or very commonly known for sex trafficking. And I saw this girl post a story about it, so I wanted to share mine. So in the harrowing story told in two parts, that's hashtag sex trafficking awareness and hashtag Target, she says she, um, Mackenzie tells the story of being followed around by two men in the proto section of the local target, then being circled by an additional two men with nothing in their shopping carts. She called her mother and her boyfriend who contacted target employees to ensure her safety and walk her to her car where she said she saw one of the men had been in the store waiting for her. So these stories come on and they describe like weird stories that happen at target. However, Sex trafficking experts uh, like Kate Diarmo, a partner at Reframe Health Justice who studied the history of sex trafficking narratives, says that not only does it mean that people are – so basically we teach people false information is what she's saying. And we have to remember that when they hear these narratives over and over of what trafficking looks like, basically not only does it mean that people who are valuable to being trafficked are made more vulnerable because they're made invisible – but we're also focusing on the wrong place. Wow, this is really scary because it's like sex trafficking does like happen and like there are like, I mean, who's to say it wouldn't happen at a Target? But like you need to also make sure that, I don't know. I don't know. This is, that's dicey. It's weird because I mean, like if you got legitimately afraid for your life in Target, I get it. But also because that'll happen, um, you know, but then it is I just, I like, are these people lying or what? Or 
So Karen Benjamin, the chief communications for the Polaris Project, said that 90% of people that are sex trafficked know their sex trafficker are somehow have a relationship with them. Uh-huh. And that they're often disenfranchised and vulnerable people who already have relationships with the traffickers. I see. So there aren't Got just it. rings a la taken happening. And they also go on to quote later in this article that never once out of the hundreds of thousands of sex trafficking king stories that they've taken a part of at Polaris Project has one happened at a Target or a retail store like that. Oof. And I'm not saying these women didn't feel unsafe. I just, my TikTok is flooded with white women saying I was almost sex trafficked at a Target. And it just. So you, this is in your algorithm because I haven't is, seen any of this. Yeah, this is in my algorithm. I skip past things like that that scare me because I like TikTok to just be about animals and <laughs> funny and dancing and funny stuff. But this is really scary. I do not like those QAnon people. I do not like them. I do not like them. Not at all. Uh-uh. I just, I don't like fear mongering. And I do understand that like we as women have to be on guard all mm-hmm. the time, but I just don't understand. And maybe they're doing the right thing by spreading awareness, but it's just like the numbers don't back it up. Yeah, this is weird. It's, it's, it's just weird and feels bad. Don't like it. Don't like it one bit. We'll go to something that I can stomach a little bit better. According to the DailyMail.co, Miss Sri Lanka winner is left with head injuries after Miss World removes her crown on stage and claims that she can't win the contest because she's divorced. Pushpika De Silva, 31, won the title during competing in the ceremony in Colombo, shown on Sunday. The previous winner, Caroline Jury, who is also Miss World, snatched that crown. Event organizers since confirmed that Miss De Silva is not divorced and returned the crown. Oh, well, case closed. What the fuck? You can't be divorced and be Mrs. A pageant World. person? Mrs. implies being married. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's fucking stupid. Yeah, she like removed the crown from her head on live television. Jack Hughes, you're not married anymore. Yank. Holy shit. I kind of like want to watch that, but I uh, shouldn't, but it's because I'm garbage. There's a video. I'll link it. Wonderful. It's not um, as exciting as it seems. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. I think I'm. we're just, you know, we're used to American television where a, a crown removal is uh, a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of a crown removal, I was going to do it. I didn't know it was fucked up though. (laughs) Oh, we got another one from the insider.com. Prince Philip had a long history of racist and problematic language stretching back nearly 40 years. What? An old British guy who was dealing with the monarchy was racist. No. Cassandra, I know it's hard to believe that somebody that spent their life in a, in privilege could be racist. That's wild. So he just died recently, you know, receiving Instagram posts by random celebrities in his honor, like Orlando Bloom, who I don't know what the fuck Orlando Bloom put. He's like something like rest easy King or or like, (laughs) maybe it's not exactly like that doesn't sound right. But 
it like your dedicated life to service, like love you. Like I don't know. It, I saw it and I was like, because Prince Philip died the same day as DMX. And so my Instagram was flooded with people like talking about DMX. And so I saw the one about Prince Philip. And I was like, is this a bit? And I was like, no, it's Orlando Bloom. What's going on with Orlando Bloom? <laughs> so Prince Philip's legacy is muddled with decades of racist, sexist, and degrading comments. He was married to Queen Elizabeth II for more than 73 years. Do you watch The Crown? I do watch The Crown. I mean, I don't know if it's based in reality, but like, you know, he seems not good on the show. (laughs) (laughs) The show makes it seem like he's kind of a dick. Orlando Bloom's post said, a man who dedicated his life to service. So sad to lose the wise ones. Deepest respect and condolences. So sad to lose the wise ones. Orlando, he was 99. What? He's not fucking Yoda. He's not going to live forever. Yeah, he did his he did his duty. That was a Star Wars reference made by someone who's never seen a Star Wars movie. You're welcome. <laughs> don't come for us, listeners. We're doing our best. Yeah, don't at me over Star Wars. It is and not a fight you want to be in. It's a Sisyphean task where you're just pushing a rock uphill, gang. It's yeah, just- good luck. Good luck. So <laughs> He, um, let's see, in 1986, while on a visit to China, he described Beijing as ghastly. Ooh, I don't want to say this next one. (laughs) Uh, He then said something else very racist. He said something very racist to a group of British students studying there. The same year, while speaking at a World Wildlife Fund meeting, Philip made an insensitive comment on Cantonese cuisine. If it has four legs and is not a chair, has wings and is not an airplane, or swims, and is not a submarine, the Cantonese will eat it. Whoa. Yikes. Prince Prince Phillips, tight five. (laughs) Yikes. (laughs) In 1988, he told a student who was trekking through Papua New Guinea, you managed not to get eaten then? Whoa. Because they're the land of cannibals. Uh Uh-huh. In 1994, he asked residents of the Cayman Islands if most of them were descended from pirates. Do you still throw spears at each other? He asked the Aboriginal leader in Queensland. We yikes! Um, the uh, Kihende Andrews, professor of Black Studies at Birmingham City University, told CNN he was a throwback to old school racism. Painting him as a benign, cuddly uncle of the nation is simply untrue. He also made sexist remarks. You are a woman, aren't you? He asked a Kenyan woman in 1984 when she gave him a gift. In 1998, he said, I don't think a prostitute is more moral than a wife. They are doing the same thing. Oh. Um, in 2009, he met a female sea cadet who told him that she worked at a nightclub. And he asked her, is it a strip club? Funny guy. Uh, again, it goes back to that like British sense of like cheekiness that he thinks he has. Like, and then he th- th- will skip through a lot of these because this is kind of like triggering and awful. But he, you know, told a thirteen-year-old who wanted to become an astronaut that he should lose weight. Like, uh, and then obviously, like you know, with the Harry and Meghan thing, you know, like. They never said specifically who was concerned about what, uh, who was bringing up concerns about Archie's skin tone, but like, I don't know. It might be old funny bones here. Yeah. Yeah. He's, you know, not a good dude, maybe. I, I like, it, again, 
welcome to this doesn't surprise me again. Like, yeah. What what do we expect? I, I, it, I'm like not surprised by it. I was shocked to learn all of them. Uh-huh. Like when they're put together, it's quite shocking. But like, yeah, I'm not surprised by it. Yeah, totally. So, um, you know, bye. <laughs> Thank you for your service. You will be missed is what many are saying. <laughs> Orlando Bloom <laughs> weeping to himself right now still to this day. <laughs> Did you watch that Billie Eilish documentary? No. It's very good and you should watch it. Um, But there's a scene where she's playing Coachella for the first time and Orlando Bloom and Katy Perry, who are married, um, are backstage and go and run up to her. You know, Katy's like being like, hey, like, you know, you're going to have a lot that's going to happen to you if you ever want to like talk to someone, you need to reach out, talk to me. And Orlando Bloom, like, and I think that they're both like very high on like Molly or so like drugs that you do at Coachella. And Orlando Bloom keeps like hugging Billie Eilish, be like, I love your music, I love your music. And then she goes back to her trailer and she was like, yeah, I saw Katy Perry. And then like her husband was like, whatever. And they're like, do you not, do you know who that is? And he's like, she's like, no. <laughs> She didn't know who Orlando Bloom was because she's young and no one cares. And then I think, I don't, I think it was like, it must have been a Pirates of the Caribbean link or it was Lord of the Rings, but one of them. And then when she realized who he was, he was, she was like, oh. So then when he saw her again before she went on stage, she was like much more receptive to him. <laughs> That's but like at first, it was just like Katy Perry's weird husband. I love your music. <laughs> yeah. Like fanboying the fuck out. It's so it's so bizarre. And she's um, she's quite young still. She is quite young still. Also, Orlando Bloom. There's a dick pic out there when he and Katy Perry were doing those like standing paddle boards. I it's a pretty good picture. Well, just to not completely trash Orlando Bloom, you know. Haven't seen it, but I don't doubt it. Nice. Are you ready, Cass? I think I am ready, yeah. It's time for the dumpster fire of the week. Oh, shh. According to the DailyBeast.com, they interview comedian Jamie Kennedy on how he ended up in an anti-abortion propaganda film, Roe vs. Wade. Has anyone been missing Jamie Kennedy? Because I know I sure the fuck haven't. Ooh, Ooh, don't come for us, listeners. Don't uh, at me about Jamie Kennedy. He's known for his films like Scream and Malibu's Most Wanted. Kenny plays Larry Later in an abortion rights champion who founded Narrow in the film, which is packed with conspiracy theories and lies, though it claims to be based on a true story. Is this one of those like true stories where they're like, oh, like we were giving the abortion, but then the baby grabbed it and said no. <laughs> Did you Please. ever go to purity plays and things like that growing up? No, no. Oh, I went to a Christian hell house where one time where basically it was like the baby stopped the abortion because God wanted it to like, it, like she went to hell immediately because of the, like I went to Christian purity plays when growing up and it is fucking wild. They really don't like abortion. Uh, that group later is depicted as part of a behind the scenes cabal of rapacious big words activists pushing abortion to make money 
Um, there's no evidence that later conducted himself in this way. And Kennedy, a 50-year-old centrist who supports a woman's right to choose, seemed both intrigued by the controversy that the film has stoked and worried about the ramifications it might have for his career. After all, a number of crew members during the filming, including director, first assistant director, costume designer, location manager, all quit during the production after learning the film's extreme anti-abortion bent. What... What were, what were the rewrites here? Because everybody signed on initially, right? I don't think everybody got the script. <laughs> People would walk in mid-fucking stream and say, I didn't know it was going to be this, and that's not good, recalls Kennedy. And maybe you're saying, hey, Jamie, wh- hey, Jamie why didn't you follow suit? And I guess because I just wrote it out and wanted to see what the final product was, meaning he wanted a fucking paycheck. I'm not some crazy right winger, but I'm also not some crazy left winger. I'm a guy who needs to be more educated about politics. I'm not some guy in Hollywood who acts like an expert about politics. You can print that. I'm sick of that. I don't. I I tell you what, I really don't like Jamie Kennedy, like as a person. Like he wrote, he made that documentary, The Heckler, Mm -hmm. which is just ridiculous because it's basically just an entire documentary where Jamie Kennedy fucking cries about the fact that he gets heckled when he does stand up. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, shut up. You signed up for this. Like, that's part of being a comedian is getting heckled. I one time got- So- Oh, sorry. Oh, oh no. Tell your story. I one time, when I was first doing stand up, like in 2009, 2010, I was trying to do stand up at my university, and I got like positive heckled. A friend Mm. brought a date and the date was like, woo, Erica. And he was pro me to the point where like every time I told a joke, he'd be like, I don't understand why people aren't laughing harder. Erica just told it like he was drunk and was like, that's hilarious. Like he was loud and he was like talking to me during the set. And I'm like, this isn't a conversation. And I didn't know what the fuck to do. And then after he, you know, I my set was over, he heckled the other comedians and were like, bring Erica back. And I was like, please stop. I'm so embarrassed. It was like real comics. And I didn't know, you know, I'd been doing college gigs with other college students. And these were like comedians that were getting paid to do comedy. And I didn't know what to do. And I was mortified. And my grandma was there and was just pacifying him and was like (gasps) holding his hand and was like, sweetheart, you need to stop because Erica's going to get kicked off the shit. Like it was fucking wild. And now I I would have known what to do, but I didn't know what to do. I was like 21. That's so crazy. So the interview goes on to ask, so with Roe versus Wade, I'm curious what attracted you to the film? Well, you know, here's what it is. In Hollywood, a lot of people were talking about this movie. And first and foremost, I'm an actor. I act. I've worked with John Voight twice before. He's one of the greatest actors ever. I thought, okay, cool drop. I thought it was an important story. And to be honest, I got offered the role. <laughs> it's really just like not used to getting offered roles. To be honest, uh, I got offered slim. Role. <laughs> Yeah, like... It was a more dramatic part and a real offer. (laughs) And so I did some research. I knew there was a lot of stuff we were walking into, but in other parts of Hollywood, I have to read, read, read. And this was a nice offer. Oh, my God. So this is obviously a controversial subject. So what about the story attracted you to it? 
it's such a controversial subject. It's hard to comment on it as a man, you know, because we don't conceive the baby. We help. Look, Kathy Allen and Nick Loeb, the directors and producers and writers, they were like, this is a movie. This is going to be about Roe versus Wade. They showed me all these books and I was reading the script and like, did this happen? And they were like, here's the quote. They introduced me to a lot of the history of Margaret Sanger, Larry Later, and Planned Parenthood. I knew it was going to be a hot button issue going in, but I saw what they were quoting from and I was like, that's interesting. I didn't know that. They said everything in this movie was taken from books, whether they took it from some whether they took some liberties, I don't know. I didn't fact check any, everything. Hey, Jamie Kennedy, not every book is fucking real. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Like, a lot of liberties were taken in this script. <laughs> the interview goes on to say, there were a lot of liberties taken. I did try to fact check the film before speaking with you about it. Your character, Larry Later, for instance, is depicted as a shady figure pulling strings from behind the scenes who treats abortions as money-making operations. Okay, so then he goes on, Jamie Kennedy goes on to be like, I didn't, I wasn't told that. Like, this abortion, uh, this whole uh, interview is long, but it was also like, the interviewer, like, smokes Jamie Kennedy. Like, holds his foot to the flame. And Jamie Kennedy can't defend himself because, yeah, like, I don't... (sighs) You did it for a paycheck. You did it because it was an offer. You didn't do your research because you don't care. That's that's the end of the story. Like I've I've almost auditioned for uh, there was a it was a friend of a friend who was working on this project that was going to film in Texas, and it was about the lady who was like one of the founders of Planned Parenthood, but then she left, mm-hmm. and so then like it ended up. Like that they were like asking me if I wanted to audition because like I think they knew my acting coach or something like that. And like I kind of looked like the lady or I don't know. And so I was like, oh, like cool. An audition for like a lead in a movie. Like let me look into this. And then I realized I was like, oh, I'm auditioning for this woman. Oh, oh, I see what this movie is about to be about. And then I looked at the film company and I'm like, oh, this is like apparently there's a lot of companies that do this, like which obviously because you've seen some of the films, but like just like big production Christian productions that just put out like conspiracy movies about like all these things. And I Mm -hmm. didn't, didn't audition because I don't want to be in a movie like that. I don't care. I don't like money, no money. Like I don't care. I'm, you gotta just, or, or just fucking admit it. Just fucking admit that you, why you did it. Mm -hmm. I didn't do enough research and I, and I want money. Fine. I respect that more than what he's doing here. A hundred percent. Just be like, it was a paycheck. I'm an actor. That's what I was doing. At the end of the film, it presents the fact that Planned Parenthood made $1.6 billion last year. They pulled their annual report as they're a nonprofit with 501c3 status, and it revealed that while they pulled in $1.64 billion in revenue, they had $1.57 billion in operating costs and only $22 million in assets. So they're not making a ton of money. That is a blatant misrepresentation at, misrepresentation at the end of the film. They're trying to say like abortion makes all this money when in fact it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, no, abortion is only 3% of what Planned Parenthood does. 52% of it is um, STD or STI treatment and testing. 25% is contraception and 6% is cancer screening, screenings. Like Planned Parenthood is not some fucking abortion factory. Everyone needs to relax about it. A hundred percent. 
A hundred percent. The interviewer goes on to roast Jamie a little bit and ask if he was wearing prosthetics in the film. And Jamie's like, that's fucked up. My hair was thinned out a little bit and combed over and I put weight on. I wanted to look different. For me, it's cool to do a role. It's controversial, but that's what good TV and movies should do. They should make you talk. What a fucking dipshit. Maybe he just believes his own stuff. Like, I wouldn't, you know. It says, as a comic, I imagine you're anti-censorship. And one thing that struck me as odd is that this film is co-produced by the Catholic League for Religious and Civil Rights, which is pro-censorship. And it attacks media that pokes fun at the Catholic Church. This group has come after Dogma, Kathy Griffin, and a number of other films and comedians for just lightly mocking the Catholic Church. Jamie says, I didn't even know that. And to be real with you, there's a lot of people that produce this, and I didn't even think I knew that. Who the fuck is Jamie Kennedy's agent? I am People left, like the camera crew. PAs would walk out mid-shoot. He'd never seen anything like that before. People were leaving left and right. What a dumb butthole. I mean, honestly, like, I don't, I don't, I don't like him. I don't care for Jamie Kennedy. I'm not going to watch this movie. It wasn't made in good faith. Yeah, no. The the uh, tag for the movie is the truth comes out April 2nd. It's also being directed by Nick Loeb, who is Sofia Vergara's ex, and they've been in an embattled court case on whether or not he can use her embryos. Oh, right. This guy, where it gets like weird because it's like they're technically, because they're embryos, which means they're impregnated. And so it's like, she, it's not, oh, that's so fucking weird. John Voight is a star of this. And Steve Gutenberg, you know, Roger Stone is in this. Oh, well, then you know it's an all star cast. Yeah. Uh, fresh out of jail. Something like that. Whatever the fuck Roger Stone's deal is these days. Monster. I'm going to get off this IMDb. This is upsetting. Um, Fuck you, J.B. Kennedy. Yeah, fuck you. Fuck this movie. This is, I mean, you wanted a paycheck. Is that too harsh to say fuck you, J.B. Kennedy? I feel like he just got fooled. Yeah. Yeah, maybe not fuck you, Jamie Kennedy. Jamie Kennedy is a person. I'm trying to be nicer to people. Jamie Kennedy, you played yourself. Yeah, you, you kind of right? didn't do your research. And now you're getting questioned on it. Mm-hmm. And you just didn't care. Hey, speaking of research, what are you hoarding this week? Ooh, thank you for asking. You had to do some research on it in the beginning, so. I did. Thank you for asking. I am hoarding a restaurant called Daybird LA in oh, Silver Lake. Restaurant. Mm-hmm. It's in Silver Lake and it's May Lynn who was Top Chef winner season 12. It's her new pop-up formerly of Nightshade in LA but Nightshade closed down so they opened this fried chicken Szechuan fried chicken place in Silver Lake and it is A the chicken is so fucking good B the best fries I've ever had in my life. Okay. Daybird. I love LA. French fries. I'll have to try this because last time that I went, per your recommendation of hoarding, I went to Amboy and that was a good fucking burger. So Erica is to be trusted when it comes to food recommendations. I am on the thicker side of trust when it comes to restaurant recommendations. Man, I can't remember what it was called. I have to look back in my bank statements. That's how much I want to remember what it's called. But I went to a poke place in your neighborhood 
after I, you know, like around Christmas, this shit was so spicy. I was crying and I was like, this is really good. Nice. <laughs> yeah. What are you hoarding this week? I am hoarding simplicity, beauty, efficiency. I am hoarding pen on paper to-do lists. Ooh, love it. I'm not talking making a to-do list in your notes app or downloading a to-do list app. Is it convenient because it's always with you? Yeah, maybe. But if you're working from home, you know, or you just like carry around a bag and you can put a little notebook in there, there's just nothing like writing down the to-do list and like that, like checking shit off of it or crossing it out and I don't know. I've been I've been a little to-do list queen like the past two weeks and I'm getting shit done. Hell yeah. Good. Like I'm adding big things to the to-do list, like big things that I've been wanting to do for a while, but I'm like, just toss it on there and see if it gets done. And sometimes it does. Do you have an example? Let me look at my to-do list. <laughs> Open her up. Oh, I set up my 401k. Good. Good on you. <laughs> just, it, it was on my to-do list and I did it. You know, next one that I'm really hoping I get done is that I clean out my tool closet um, because my tool closet's fucked up. Um, It's also getting me to like do my laundry. Remember how like last week I was like, I hate doing laundry, I hate doing laundry. And now that it's on my to-do list, I don't like it anymore, but I'm doing it. Good. I love that. Thanks. Are you throwing anything out? Yes. Oh, boy. Do your goddamn homework. Like, wherever you are, if you have to come prepared, come prepared. I had to get blood work done at a quest recently. Oh. And there were at least three people drinking water, pacing up and down this tiny office because they had to make urine and they couldn't. And they didn't drink water beforehand, so they were having to drink water in the quest. Now, granted, I did the same thing. I just had a nervous bladder. I couldn't go. But I did my homework, and I drank a bunch of water before I went. And they were, I mean, they were maskless, just drinking water. And the nurse kept telling them, you have to do your homework. And (laughs) it struck me in such a way. And I was like, yeah. Do your goddamn homework and don't come to Quest unless you're ready to give a urine sample. (laughs) So you're throwing out the concept of people not doing their homework, which means that you have to watch them as they create pee. Yes, it was upsetting. Yeah, I imagine so. Because when you're having a drink with someone or you just like see someone drinking water in general, you don't think to yourself, that's going to be pee, you know? But like, how, what else can you think about when you're in a Quest Diagnostics and they're pacing trying to chug water? You're like, it's kind of like, ew. Ew. <laughs> that will soon be pee. That's the, And that's what its purpose is. Not to hydrate or to do any for pleasure. Only, to, only for pee. What about you? What are you throwing away? All right. (laughs) A couple weeks ago, I threw out the Disney Plus app. Last week, I came, I I took it back. So they fixed all my problems. I'm throwing it out again. Oh, no. Oh, no. You know what? 
I take back all the apologies. Disney Plus is one of the stupidest fucking TV apps I've ever experienced, ever. Okay? This tip that I received on like, oh, this is how you, you know, like you only probably do this like once, you know, this should take care of your problem going forward. You just reboot your TV, like whatever. I'm rebooting my fucking TV almost every day because I'm watching the Marvel movies. And so I got to use a lot of Disney Plus and this app just fucking sucks. Why do I have to reboot my TV? It's imagine if you had a, an app, you want to check Facebook on your phone, but every time that you check Facebook, like it runs slow sometimes and you're having to restart your iPhone every day. This is what I'm going through with my TVs. And it is Disney Plus's fault because no other apps do this. Boo! Boo, Disney Plus, you dumb app. And I don't think that they have their sound mixed right either because I'm having to crank up these Avengers movies. I can't hear. I can't hear. And it's hard to find closed captioning on my boyfriend's TV. And that might not be Disney Plus's fault, but I'm blaming them anyways. Blame on. Blame on. I don't like this app. Ooh, Disney Plus, get your shit together. You have $15,000 from some dick from Louisiana. Invest it and make a better app. Look at Netflix and Hulu. Seamless, beautiful apps. Why the fuck? Why? Why? I have I have never seen you this riled up. I raise my fist and shake it at my Mickey Mouse god. <laughs> Fix your fucking app. Where can the people find you? <laughs> I don't think I want to tell them this week <laughs> to up everything that I've all my big statements. <laughs> but uh, if you're really curious, at Cass Cardenas on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find me at, at Iconic Erica Curry on Instagram. And you can find this podcast at Trashy Trashy Pod on Instagram and on Twitter or at www.trashytrashypodcast.com. And you can find us this week on Whack Brackets. That's W-A-C-K brackets, B-R-A-C-K-E-T-S. And we will be on an episode coming out Monday. That is Mm -hmm. April 12th. Yes. So much fun. Please listen to it. It's a really cool podcast. Um, And uh, yeah, thanks for uh, submitting stories, however you do it. And, you know, tell us why you're trash this week. We love you. We love you, little trash cans. Hey, Cass. What's going on, girl? Stay garbage. You stay garbage. Bye-bye. Bye.